So my first question to you this morning, what do you think of when you hear the word sanctuary? What do you think of when you hear the word sanctuary? And I invite you to take a moment and to put into the chat just some of the things that you think of, a word or a phrase or a description or a feeling. What do you think of when you hear the word sanctuary? Okay, safe place, secure, safety, stillness, welcoming, Sacred, peaceful, worship, protection, holy place, refuge, sacred, a bird sanctuary, yes. Wonderful. A place of rest. Koi, yes. Our church sanctuary. I'm glad somebody mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Protection. Thank you, Neil. So we have a sense that a sanctuary is a place of safety, worship, our our church, the main church, a central place for worship, a place that's set apart for something something important, something that is good. We might, in the midst of thinking about our sanctuary, thought of our own main church, as Becky put in. We might have a memory of being in there, of the smell, of the candles, of gathering together in that place, and some of our grief this past year that we have not been able to gather there. Our scriptures today talk about another kind of sanctuary, a sanctuary that is not a building necessarily, but more than that, a sanctuary that is the actual dwelling of God. Our Old Testament reading describes a physical sanctuary, and it also describes God's call to Samuel. And I want you to just pay attention these next weeks, starting last week with the call of Jesus and his baptism. We are also hearing call stories of prophets like Samuel and the disciples over these next weeks. So we enter into this story. Samuel is sleeping in the tabernacle at Shiloh. Now, this was before the first temple that Solomon built in, Jer- in Jerusalem. Shiloh was the place for three centuries where all Israel would come and gather for worship and sacrifice to God. And it's about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. This was where, before it was lost, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the holiest of sanctuaries, a place where the priests could go only, only go in once a year. And the ark itself, you might have seen pictures of it. It's basically a big chest with angels and wings over the top of it, covered in gold. What's inside the chest? Well, there were three things. The Ten Commandments, the stone tablets that God gave to Moses, 
a sample of manna that fed the Israelites throughout their exodus time in the desert, and the staff of the first priest, Aaron, who was also with Moses during the exodus. As we know from the scriptures, and when I mentioned Ark of the Covenant, we might have also thought of Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Ark was considered extremely powerful. It was the seat of God's glory. It was the place where God chose to dwell in this holy of holies. One did not idly hang out with it. As we see in Hollywood's version, there was bad things that happened when people disrespected the Ark. So the fact that Samuel is in the sanctuary near the Ark Ark is actually quite curious. He wouldn't have been actually in the same room because that would not have been allowed for him. But there is an implication in this text that he's sleeping pretty close to it. Why is this? So here's a backstory. Samuel was the firstborn son of Hannah. Hannah was a childless woman uh, who came up to the Shiloh tabernacle and prayed for a son. And God granted her request. She promised that when God granted her request, that this son would serve in the the tabernacle for the rest of his life. Once Samuel was old enough, he was brought to the tabernacle at Shiloh and was raised by Eli, who was the priest of God. But there were problems. There were problems. Eli's sons, who were also priests, Hophni and Phinehas, we hear about them earlier in 1 Samuel, were extorting food and sex under the cover of their priestly duties. They were demanding the best cuts of meat, the sacrificial animals that people were bringing, and they were sleeping with the women who were serving at the temple. And the implication here is this was not uh, a good thing at all. This was a, a power, dominating power. If anyone questioned them, They threatened violence. Scripture makes it clear they did not know God. And God was displeased with them for making a mockery of worship and laying a burden of fear on the people. And God warned Eli to curb his sons, fellow priests, but he did not, and the injustice continued. The place that should have been a place of safety, the sanctuary, a place of worship, was a place of violation. And so into this young Samuel is brought, and it's possible that he found safety from the dysfunction around him by being near this ark. Maybe he slept better near the holy place of God. Maybe it reminded him of his mother and her yearly visits and her talk about the faithful God she served so different from what he was seeing at Shiloh. Our story tells us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were not widespread. Even Eli, his eyesight both physically and spiritually dim. You see what the text did here. There were no visions from God, and there was actually no vision literally. Eli couldn't see the damage that his sons were doing. But we're also given this kernel of hope. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, this 
was actually a physical lamp in the Holy of Holies. It burned every night, all night until dawn. Imagine a a menorah. It had seven candles on it. But symbolically, the lamp of God had not gone out on Israel, even though that the word from the Lord was rare in these days, God was still reaching out, making contact. And our passage continues as God reaches out to Samuel and Samuel learns to hear God's voice. He actually sees God and hears a word from him. And it's a hard word, this first one. It's a word that brings grief to Eli, not wholly unexpected, that his sons would bear the consequences for mocking the worship of God. Samuel goes on to become the trusted prophet for 40 years in Israel. So in this first section, a sanctuary is a physical place of God's presence. But in our reading from Paul in 1 Corinthians, this sanctuary that Paul describes is physical, but in a different way. The Apostle Paul is at his wit's end with the Corinthians church. And the year is 55 AD about, and the little church is about four years old. And it's surrounded by a culture that capitalizes on every kind of self-indulgence and is influenced by sexual practices of sanctuaries to Aphrodite and to many other gods and goddesses. The Corinthian Christians had a difficult road of discipleship. They knew God. Unlike Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they knew God. But letting go of some of these ways, old ways of living, was difficult. One of the main philosophies that formed the culture around them was that the body was simply unimportant, maybe even hopelessly evil. So don't even bother with it. And so the body just didn't factor into their spiritual practice. They could be saved, but the body and what they did with it didn't matter. One could indulge in unhealthy ways with food or pleasure without any effect spiritually. But one of the characteristics of the good news in Jesus is God came in physical human form. We just celebrated that with Christmas and the incarnation that the good news is not just for the human spirit, but for the human body as well. And Paul reframes this for the Corinthians experience. He's trying to give dignity to the human body, both personally and corporately. Humans are image bearers of God. And through Jesus, the body is the sanctuary of God, Paul claims, that the Holy Spirit dwells in each of them personally and corporately as a community. An important word here, when you get into the language, it's just, it gets really exciting. Naos means sanctuary. In the Greek, this is the same word that would be used for the holy of holies that Samuel slept near. And in the Greek Old Testament that Paul would have had access to, the same word is used to describe both places where Samuel slept and who we are as followers of Christ, the naos. There are other words that Paul could have used, but he's making a point. The sanctuary of God's presence and glory is no longer a building, but in each disciple and in the Christian community together. But as I said, Paul is at his wit's end with the Corinthian church. 
He is clear that being a sanctuary of God means that some practices are now a problem. All things are lawful, the Corinthians argue, but Paul argues not all things are beneficial. And how the Corinthians behave toward their bodies and the bodies of the others around them is important. In upcoming readings in these next weeks, Paul will be speaking to the Corinthians Christians' response to food in religious systems, so preview of coming attractions. But today's reading specifically talks about sexual exploitation. The Greek word for fornication is porneia, and you'll immediately notice that's where we get our term porn and pornography. This is not loving intimacy. For the Corinthian follower of Christ to participate in the religious and economic slavery of temple prostitution was the antithesis of treating God's image bearers with love and respect. Rather than bringing the good news of Jesus and participating, um, and, and they were participating with these practices, that meant the disciple was being intimately united with these systems of oppression, and everybody around them saw this. And it spiritually injured the witness of the body of Christ. How could one share the good news of freedom in Christ when one was so entangled themselves? And Paul drives the point home, reminding the Corinthians that they were once in bondage themselves and that they were bought with a price, Jesus giving his own body on the cross. And they were to now be free to live and glorify God in their own bodies, but not just for themselves but for the life of all the people around them. So, two passages, both talking about sanctuary. What does it mean for us at St. John's, far removed from Shiloh Tabernacles and Corinthian temples? We're not Phineas and Hopney extorting prime rib and sexual favors from God's worshipers. We're not Eli ignoring their behavior. But we may see similar things and feel a longing for sanctuary and safety, like Samuel, a place to safely encounter God. We're not living surrounded by Greek temples to gods and goddesses like the Corinthians, but we may be seeing a web of practices that oppress around us locally and globally, poverty and discrimination and racism and trafficking and addiction and so much more and wondering how do we witness in the midst of this? How do we live as naos, the sanctuary of God? So I have three ideas, and there are many more, but here are three ideas for us going forward this week. The first one, inviting God. The second, making space for God. And the third, listening for God's call. First, Inviting God to come dwell with you, maybe for the first time. Samuel was sleeping near the ark and he made it clear he wanted to know God more. Well, I don't think Father Kevin is going to let anyone sleep in the main church sanctuary, um, as beautiful as that would be. The wonder of this is that we don't have to go anywhere. We can talk about this from where with God wherever we are. The sanctuary is no longer outside, but inside. So this might be inviting God 
during the renewal of baptismal promises like we did last week, where the words become an open door and Jesus steps into our hearts in a new and different way. Or it could happen when we're receiving that bread, that body of Christ in the Eucharist, physically and spiritually ingesting it, and awareness of sanctuary now clearer than before that it's in us. And there's opportunities still to do that, even in the midst of pandemic, the the by reservation Wednesday Eucharist or receiving from the reserved sacrament by appointment. It could simply be saying to God, please dwell in me spiritually, make my body, heart, mind, and spirit your sanctuary physically and trust that this is enough. A second step might be to move around or move out some furniture in that sanctuary, in your heart and mind, and make space for God. I know sometimes for me, God gets shoved over in the corner behind the computer and all the books and the papers degrade and the smartphone and the email and my task list. And sometimes there might be a lot of other things that are even more unhealthy Uh, letting in attitudes or influences. I know this last week I watched a lot of news and over time I realized it simply was not helping me love God and love others. It takes intentional time and energy to make space for God. What needs to be swept clear? And we're coming up to Lent and that's a great time to pursue some spiritual house cleaning. You might also look around the sanctuary and realize your sanctuary might be crumbling a bit. And in that case, I encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to a counselor, a pastor, a spiritual friend, or a mentor. Seek the sacrament of reconciliation. Take the time to focus in on rebuilding that sanctuary with God's help. And finally, the third one, listen for God's call. And Samuel, Samuel was called to serve the kingdom of Israel. Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentile Corinthians and many other places. Philip and Nathaniel in our gospel was called to be apostles, to preach the good news and to make disciples. God dwells in the sanctuary of our bodies, not just for our own benefit, for, for the life of the world. And maybe that call for you is to reach out to someone living alone with a tasty treat or just just saying, I'm praying for you. I remember you. Or maybe it's helping fifth Sunday dinner and making some corn muffins. Or maybe it's inviting someone to Zoom church or to Compline or to the men's group and say, come and see. It could be God's call through an idea or a song or a piece of art or a new way of approaching your work. It could be a call just to be faithful right where you are at what you're doing right now with God's help. We are the sanctuary of God. God dwells in us as followers of Jesus. And that is our good news for this morning. So invite God, make space for God, listen for God's call. And when God calls, may we respond as Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen.